Welcome to the Forging Honor Podcast. I'm Jonathan George. And I'm Benjamin Jones. Here at The Forge, we explore what it means to live as Christian men. Along the way, we'll be doing habit-forming challenges to build character through action. We are by no means experts, just two young Christian men trying to make sense of a wild world. That's right. We do our best to learn and hope you'll join us on the journey. And if you want to get directly involved, go to ForgingHonor.com to find information on how to join our community. This is episode 28, Desiring God's Word. All right. So today we have Christian Brewer. He is a PCA pastor in uh, Blairsville, Georgia. He got his bachelor's at New College, Franklin, and his master's in divinity at RTS Charlotte. He's married and has a three, three-month-old daughter. Um, and I know we are excited to have him on. I hope he's excited to be here. So bear with us. And he, he, is, he is bared with us in the many uh, tech issues that we've had this morning, but we're, we're getting started on it. Um, so Christian, aside from what I've already said about yourself, do you have, do you have, Anything to intro yourself before we jump into it? No, I mean, you kind of summed it up. I've yeah, been a pastor up here in Northeast Georgia. been married to Courtney for almost seven years now. We've got a, a little three-and-a-half-month-old poppy Jane that the Lord bless us with. Uh, and, um, yeah, just excited to be here with you all and thankful for the privilege. So Sweet. Well, we're excited to have you. So, Christian, I, I've known Christian for a while. I, I guess I don't know how long I've asked. Christian been a long I mean I can I mean I watched your stuff when you were in high school doing the um whatever the your play thing was so yeah it's been a while yeah times. um at any rate I as a as a middle school and high schooler you know Christian was always like he was studying hard and he he knew what he was doing in life so I looked up <laughs> to you literally and figuratively um you can't Christian is much taller than I am um <laughs> So we're going to jump into it. So for those that don't know, the current challenge right now um, is we are doing scripture reading every day. Um, we've changed the format, as we talked about in the last podcast, changed the format to have these longer challenges that go over a uh, three-week period instead of a, uh, or go over a, a six-week period, three episodes, um, instead of just a two-week, one-episode period. Uh, and what that's allowing us to do is really dig in to some of these topics more and have guests on. So here we are, um, and today we're talking about, but first, before we get into it, Banjo, how has the challenge been going for you? Are you, are you doing okay? Uh, well, I'll be honest. This, uh, I'm, I'm a little disappointed with myself on how this one's going so far. I've, I think I hit, uh, so this has been, it's been, what, two, two weeks since our last record now? Yes. Um, so I, I think what I'm at now, going by our old metrics, I think I'm at it's five or six out of 10, um, which is fairly low for, you know, for my averages. Uh, I like to get those up higher. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm disappointed <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's the new year and I was really excited to kind of get into, into this thing. Um, and, and this challenge is really kind of exposing, uh, for me, some of the, uh, you know, maybe sinful tendencies of my heart where at least the laziness where there are, there are just things I'd rather be doing. Um, and I have a, I have a difficult time setting aside time to say, okay, this is my, you know, this is my 10 minutes of undivided attention, uh, for scripture. Um, and, and, uh, I'm excited to talk to Christian today to see 
you know, what are some things that I can change in my daily habits maybe that, that start putting me on a better trend in that sense? Um, how about you, JJ? How did this, how's it going so far in 2024? Well, for once I'm beating you. So, <laughs> so in the past, Banjo usually has stellar performance on all of our challenges and I'm over here sort of keeping up. I I'm proud to say I have a 10 out of 10 on the new year. Oh, wow. Um, for you. And hats off. Uh, I guess it would be more than that because I'm including weekends. So, um, and, and I'll be honest, it hasn't been the most in-depth thing. It's, it's, it's my daily proverbs and like, okay, I did it. I, I managed to actually read, pick up the Bible today. <laughs> So that, that kind of jumps in, Christian. Um, so I know there's a lot of different approaches to reading scripture, everything from not reading to going incredibly in depth. Uh, would you just give us kind of a, a, a an overview of some of the, the strategies you've seen and, and sort of, uh, yeah, start with that. Yeah, I mean, so probably the most popular one that I know of is, um, you guys probably heard of it called the McShane Reading Plan, developed by Robert Murray McShane. Yes. And that's one of those more in-depth ones. I think, you know, in a year you read Old Testament once, New Testament twice, maybe the Psalms twice too. Um, <clears throat> I know um, my wife last year was doing a um, kind of an historical chronological read through. Um, so those vary in length, sometimes one, sometimes two years. Um, and then, you know, I know some people who just power through, begin with Genesis, try and read four to five chapters a day and try and make it from, you know, from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation and often find themselves in the graveyard of Leviticus, but sometimes they power through that. And, um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, the, like I said, the most popular one in my mind is that McShane plan while something like, um, daily proverb or, um, Oh, what's the other one? Uh, I think like the Bible app does something as well that, um, yeah, but the, the McShane one is by far and away from, in my knowledge, kind of the most popular one. Now, I think definitely in our circles, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, when you're when you're looking at something like that, um, and looking at one of these like in-depth Bible plans where you're you're chomping through, um, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament twice and all this, um, have you found those? sorts of things to be to be helpful are they are they overwhelming would you recommend someone trying to get through a bible in a year is that a is that a worthy goal or is is that do we are we are we putting an arbitrary you know desire to to finish a thing um, mm-hmm. in a year yeah that's a good question and i think you know i think it varies on your season in life you know i think you know like a retiree who doesn't have much on his plate is going to be able to read a lot more than, you know, a, a father of young children, um, mother of young children. Um, I do think it's a worthy goal to try and read the Bible in a year. I mean, it's a, it's a, the, as far as having regular, the regular diet of the word, uh, myself, I mean, I have tried the McShane plan probably three or four times and ashamedly have never actually completed it from January 1st to December 12th. And, um, have have really kind of just developed my own sort of reading. So, I mean, even this past year for starting in January 1, I developed a reading plan for my church. And it's a, you know, you read through the Old Testament once. It's a two-year plan where you read through the Old Testament once, New Testament twice. We actually read through the Psalms 12 times in that two-year cycle. Um, and I find something like that a little bit more manageable, maybe a two-year plan. Um, really, you know, at the end of the day, any plan that's getting you in the Word of God is good right and you kind of have to find what what one works best for yourself and 
And I think the challenge though with a good reading plan is to um, is get a plan, develop a plan, whatever it is that allows you to see the um, the unity of scripture. So, you know, I think one thing, not necessarily I have against, but, you know, re- something like reading straight from Genesis to Revelation is you can sometimes miss um, the interconnectedness of things going on because, you know, by the time you get to Revelation, you've forgotten everything that you've read in Genesis. Or, you know, if you when you get to the Gospels, generally you're still, you're fuzzy on what happened, you know, six months ago in Exodus and Leviticus, things like that. So... That's a that's a great point. Could you elaborate a little bit more on like what you mean by the the unity of scripture for folks who might not know? Yeah, so um, you know, especially just I'm a reformed PCA pastor, and the reformed have uh, very regularly talked about reformed Christians very regularly talked about the not the inter, not even just the interconnectedness, but the unity of scripture. So um, the things that are taught in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus are the same things that are taught in Romans and Ephesians and the Gospels. Uh, so it's a coherent whole that uh, really builds on his, on itself. So, you know, as, as beautiful as passage, you know, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a beautiful passage. But in order to really understand what's being said in that passage, you've got to have, you know, categories in place that Genesis, Exodus, prophets, all these things build for you. Um, you know, the whole message of redemption kind of flowing, beginning in Genesis three fifteen and flowing all the way through the New Testament. So it's what, it's a way of, uniting the, the both the Old and the New Testament, but also um, underscoring the fact that uh, the more we know about the Bible, the more, more we're going to understand the Bible. So that kind of gets to, like you mentioned, there's a ton of plans out there, and it sounds like anyone could go and pick a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're getting to some of the reasons of why and, and reasons to pick, pick particular plans. Like you mentioned the unity of Scripture, but going even further back, um, you know, if you're someone... So I, I fall prey to this where I see it as, or I too easily see it as like, I got to check this box and I forget mm-hmm. about the reasons why I'm even doing it in the first place. So what, what would you say are good things to keep in mind for the reasons? Why do we even bother to read scripture daily, scripture daily? And then when we're, you know, waking up in the morning and the last thing we want to do is actually focus on scripture. What are the things that you tell yourself or you might encourage someone to tell themselves in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think you guys might have heard it. I can't remember who said it first, but there's that sort of adage about reading the Bible daily that if you were given if you were given instructions by a doctor that if you take this pill once a day, you know, you'll you'll live a long and healthy life. You just have to make sure to take that pill once a day. And in some ways that captures the importance of it. Some in other ways it makes it just another utilitarian thing. But I think, you know, the the long and short of it is that when we read the Bible, we are actively engaging with God speaking to us, um, actively the, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is, uh, presently compellingly actively speaking to us every time we sit down and open his word, um, and, and engage in study, right. Engage it more than just, um, you know, like a, a, a life verse. So, you know, reading the prophets to really try and understand what the message is rather than, you know, like what I used to do when I was in um, early college years, you know, reading the prophets just to find those cool little verses, you know, like Jeremiah 29, 11 or whatever. So really approaching a scripture of what is God speaking to me rather than what do I get out of it? Because at the end of the day, it is him speaking to us. Um, you know, I think of um, uh, Psalm 42 talks about, you know, uh, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so 
yearns my heart for you, O Lord. And then in the psalmist, in, uh, the psalmist in uh, 119, 119, I think 131 or 132 or something, talks about how his, his soul pants for the word of God. And, you know, it's probably two different authors, David in 42 and then an unknown author in 119. But they're, they're saying the same thing, that as we pant for God, we pant for his word, right? We yearn for his word because we yearn to meet with God. Um, and, you know, then there's all sorts of um, ancillary reasons that get tacked onto that because we're meeting with God, because we are actively having him speak to us by his spirit through his word. Um, the word is a light to our path. You know, the, the, the word makes wise the simple. The word um, builds us up. Um, it, it does all these things. I mean, Paul kind of sums it up in 2 Timothy 3.16 of profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Um, so really, you know, all these ancillary reasons of wisdom and maturity and guidance and all these things are flowing from the fact that when we come to Scripture, when we sit at its feet, we are actually hearing from God speak to us. Yeah, um, that, that that's such a great, I love the way that you phrased that. And it's, it's like in the best kind of way, that's like a really convicting um, statement, especially because it I think it, it reveals, at least as I'm listening to it, reveals to the, like the arrogance of my own heart. That's like, well, I, you know, I need to do other things today. Uh, and, and, you know, how, uh, you know, how arrogant is that, you know, next to the fact that you need to listen to God speaking, you need to listen to, um, you know, the, the word, um, you know, and, and, and what it's saying to us, how, how do you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you've been through all of the seminary schools, you've, you've, spent you know, years and years and years uh in in the word how do you keep going back to it and how do you avoid the temptation to say well i i know scripture really well uh i'm just gonna like think about this verse that i know how do you get back in the word every day mm -hmm. yeah you know i i uh i was thinking about that myself just a little bit this morning and you know i'm kind of the the, the convicting the humbling part about being in full-time ministry and like you said going through all these years of training and reading the bible you know there are days that still because of my own sinful heart where it's like oh, i've got a hundred things to do or you know especially during seminary but it still happens unfortunately in pastoral ministry where you get so engaged in something you kind of look up and you're like man i haven't opened my bible for non-professional reasons for lack of a better word um in a long time right so there's still always that that tension. Um, I think, you know, kind of the ultimate reason is, you know, the, the word of God being from God himself is never something that we can master. God is not, um, you know, he is, he is Lord and King. We are not Lord and King over him. So his word is not, um, is not master, is not able to be mastered like other things. Right. I mean, it's, um, you know, you'll, you'll learn, you'll be able to memorize all the, intricacies of quantum physics and mechanics and all those things before you ever come close to plumbing the full depths of God's word. Um, and I think you see that a lot. I mean, if you talk to old saints, um, wizened elderly saints who have been walking with God for a long time, they have this um, almost spirit wrought desire to always be in his word because they know there's always more to learn there. And there's, there's always more to, um, to be found in, in the, in the field of, of God's vineyard. Right. And, um, I think that even goes back to, you know, it's not as, it is an arrogance. It's an arrogance in all our hearts. 
But it's also sort of an explicitly modern tendency to think that we can master anything we have our minds to, right? I mean, you just, I think of um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's kind of old maxim, I think it was from Outliers or something, but, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to master something. And, uh, you know, we kind of approach that to the Bible, like, all right, it's been 10,000 hours done easy. I mean, not easy, but, you know, doable. And yet, you know, we're thinking about, we're, we're approaching God's word, right? And um, I love, there's a, I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but there's a Catholic theologian who, who talked about how um, when we approach the word, we don't approach it as a, as, 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 a, as a master coming to an artifact or some sort of task to say, but actually the word masters us, right? The word um, actually tells us who we are as we stand in its presence. So it's that constant give and pull of, 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 you know, finding yourself before the word of God, find, hearing yourself, um, hearing God speaking to you, um, and then realizing, man, this is what I've waited for all my life. Or, this is what, this is what I've been looking for, um, is hearing God speak to me, hearing the, the spirit guide me by his word in all wisdom and righteousness. That's really well. That's really well said. Uh, my temptation often, because you know, uh, being an English major in college and and like having a love for words, lowercase, um, like my desire when I come to any piece of literature is to master it and to to be able to see it from every angle. And you know, we were talking about Cormac McCarthy before we started recording. You know, I want to I want to get up to Blood Meridian. And, and be like, oh, so he's, you know, he's doing this here and he's doing this here. And, you know, I can make a theory about all of, you know, McCarthy literature and this sort of thing. And I have the, the tendency to do that with scripture, too, and, and to try and fit it into that literary box. Because um, that's just how the way that my brain is wired. How do, you, how do you keep those things distinct? How do you, mm-hmm. um, you know, treat God's word with, with the appropriate uh, reverence and awe and love? an intimacy that that doesn't happen with, you know, a, a work of fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point you made there. And I think uh, in one way, you know, the Bible is written like any other book insofar as, you know, it had a human author, the author had a context, the author had a, um, a reason he was writing it. Right. I mean, we just think of, you know, we're preaching through the book of Romans right now, Paul sometime 56, 57 AD sat down in Corinth he had an explicit purpose to write to this church in Rome, right? And he, he penned the letter. It's not like these tablets descended from on high. It's not even that Paul suddenly went into this ecstatic experience and just started, you know, scatter plotting these words out. But it's all, it always, had a pur- always has a purpose. And, and those things feed into our understanding of what's trying to be communicated. Of what, and, you know, I think, um, you know, in one way, it's not like we're going to read, you know, we read the, through the Bible year 2024 and we see oh man the whole thing is about god saving his people through jesus christ and then the next year we're gonna come back and be like oh i was wrong last year it's actually about you know this side so the you know the main message is not going to change the and and in fact you know that but the you think about the um the 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 outward effects of that one singular message that united message the outward effects that are always new and present because we're always engaging in new and present um, conflicts and contexts and all sorts of things, right? That and that's almost because because life, our own life, is ever new and ever surprising in a lot of ways. The word stays ever new and ever surprising because there's always a new, you know, a, 
um, something like, you know, Ephesians 5, where it talks about husband and wife, it's going to look a lot different for a single man than a, a, a guy who's been married for a year and a half. And it's going to look different for a guy who's going to be applied differently for a guy who's been married a year and a half to a guy who's been married seven years. And, you know, it's all the way down the line and these uh, different contexts that really demand not a fresh reading, but a, a constant rereading to be able to place God's word in the context of our own lives properly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh there there's, I was just reading um, one of the classes I'm teaching right now is going through some of the screw tape letters. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lewis makes a, a point in there about how human beings are, we're, we're creatures in time. And so as a result, we necessarily are subject to change and to constant change. Um, but he says that we also have, in us the love for for permanence and so there's that tension between those things and and lewis's point is kind of in in some degree that's where god works in that mm-hmm. you know, our, our longing for heaven we we recognize the change that's in us and yet we still have a desire for you know this permanent glory and it sounds like what you're saying is uh you know the the word is that 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 thing that will you know the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the lord endures forever and and we're withering and, and flowering, withering and blossoming. And you're you know, we need to keep going back to the word, not because the, the word is changing necessarily, but because where we are in our life, uh, the the water is changing for uh, the way that the water tastes to us, you know, it's getting sweeter, it's saltier, mm-hmm. however mm-hmm. we eat it, and it's always it's always drawing us closer and closer to God. You were talking about the you know, the seasoned saints and how they seem to have more of a desire for uh, for the word and they're growing in that desire and you know the 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 imagist in me sees like you know they're they're so close to that glory they're so close to seeing god face to face it seems only natural that they would be you know they like you know like a lover looking at the picture of the one they're about to see returning home from their journey, they're, they're locked in on that thing. That's all they can see. Um, mm-hmm. and that's all they want to see. So that's a, yeah, no, that's really, yeah, that's really well put. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? That the more we taste of God, the more we experience God and his word, the more our hearts will naturally want him more. Right. We'll naturally want, uh, to be with him more. Like you, as you just said, right. As a, as a lover longs for the person that, he or she loves, right? Our true heart's desire found in the Lord. Um, and to your point about permanence, I think that's really key too, that the permanence of the word kind of answers our desire for permanence, right? When we think about the infallibility of God's word, that the, the miraculous divine characteristic of scripture, that all that it says will never not be true one day, right? So I just think about um, the example I have to gave when I was in youth ministry is, you know, think about Newtonian physics, right? Newtonian physics for 500 years was just gospel truth, right? Things moved, things hit, light moved in a certain way. And then, you know, around 1910, we started looking at the stars and we realized, hey, once you get outside of our gravitational pull, these things don't start working, aren't working the same way. And that's, you know, that's where we get quantum mechanics and all these things. And so even something as that seems as infallible as the rules of physics actually start to break down in a certain time and place. And there's no, there is no time or place where what is taught in the word of God suddenly becomes 
untrue or invalid in some way. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I love, I love what you're saying about yearning for the word as well. I don't know. I like that word yearning. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and exactly what you said a moment ago really stuck out to me about the, um, you know, the more you're in it, the more you're going to, the more you're going to want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it, it almost sounds like, like there's no key that you can just switch. There's no, there's no thing that someone could just say, now I yearn for the word. Mm-hmm. Right. So, that kind of means that there's going to be a place in your life where you don't necessarily yearn for it and you just have to do it. Is that, am I understanding Mm -hmm. that correctly? Yeah, no, I think you're right. You know, I think, you know, if we're thinking about our, if I think about my life before and after Christ, you know, there was, there was, there was a definite point where, you know, this year I had absolutely no interest in reading God's word. And then, you know, coming to faith, having this kind of newfound interest. But even after that, there is this, like you said, this ebb and flow of um, <clears throat> sometimes the desire is not there. And yet that's where spiritual maturity comes into play, right? That's where, um, that's where something like a daily, you know, a daily Bible reading habit helps you because if you have that habit ingrained, you know, think about, for example, I'm a I'm pretty persnickety. I, I live for the, um, the praise of the dentist. So I floss twice a day. And, um, I have, I have built it into such a habit in my life that, you know, if I lay down in bed because I, and I forget to floss, like I literally can't go to bed. Like I have to get, it's almost this, it's become almost ner- this neurotic impulse that to get up and floss. Um, <clears throat> in the same way, you know, if we're, if we have our habit of daily Bible reading and we're doing it when we feel like it all the time, then once that pattern becomes ingrained, then we will suddenly, when that day comes along, when we don't feel like it we'll have that habit built into our hearts, built into our lives where it's, it's just something we do, right? It's just something we do now. But um, I do think that there are also going to be moments when we don't have that habit and we don't feel like doing it. But as I said, spiritual maturity, part of spiritual maturity is recognizing I need to do this even though I don't feel like it, right? Kind of fighting against the, the myth of, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the word, but um, uh, oh my gosh. Um, this is what happens when you turn 30, uh, authenticity, right. Of being authentic of like, right. Reading right. God's word only works if you really feel like reading God's word. And it's like, no, that's, I mean, definitely God wants faith, faithful readers and listeners, but we also do it when we don't want to as well. That's, that's such a good point. I had, uh, one of the professors at, at covenant, uh, was an old, uh, Orthodox Presbyterian guy, uh, curmudgeon, one of my favorites. And he always would say, uh, you know, your, your feelings do not validate your faith. Uh, <laughs> and, and it really offended all of the, all of the freshmen, but I loved it because it was so true, you know, cause it's not, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter if you, you know, you feel like you should do the right thing or you feel like you should be in worship or whatever you, you need to be there. And that's, that's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what we're called to do. That's our role. Um, one question I have, kind of on that modern idea of authenticity or, or something like that. Um, I, I was noticing uh, just in a, in a little bit of research that I was doing preparing for this episode, a, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of folks will put, put um, their Bible reading into the kind of, into the category of like, well, that's my, my daily meditation, um, mm-hmm. my daily meditation practice. Um, and they'll kind of like, file that 
in the same place that like, you know, someone who does yoga in the morning, not there's anything wrong with that. Um, but you know, the, the same way that they would put that in there. And it's just one of those things that I've always kind of bumped up, bumped up against, um, because I've, I've heard, you know, some Christians talk about meditating on the word, obviously see that's a thing that we're called to do. Um, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, you know, a distinction between, you know, like a Buddhist meditation on the, on Alm, um, and a, and a Christian meditation on, on the word. What, what's the difference between those two and, and why should we draw a distinction? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a, that is definitely sort of a, 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 a trend these days. And a lot of it comes from this sort of, uh, you see a lot, I mean, it's kind of the same attitude of being spiritual, but not religious, um, kind of this, this flow over from what we might call history of religion school that we're all kind of trying to do the same thing just with different words, different, a different grammar, we might say. So a Buddhist is trying to do the same thing as a Christian, all these things. Um, but you know, when the, when the, uh, when the Bible talks about meditation, you know, Psalm one, blesses man who walks not in the council of wicked, but meditates on the law of God day and night, that type of meditation and we even see it later on in the song, but it talks about, I open up my hand and the Lord fills me with good things. Um, that type of meditation is in a totally different category of the meditation we see coming from Eastern religions. And even what most people these days think about when they talk about meditation, um, because you know, see, the point of Eastern meditation, whatever, whatever form, even if we think about something like um, the whirling dervishes, right? The, um, uh, not the Sunni or the Shiite, but the, um, uh, man, whatever the mystical stream of Islam is, I can't remember. Um, but it's this, the task is to empty yourself, right? To just totally clear your mind. And, you know, that, that, that mantra that you said, that, um, right, that's that thing you focus on to kind of get your heart and your mind clear to just um, focus on nothingness almost, right? And in the biblical picture, it's really the exact opposite, right? That we fill ourselves with the word of God, right? We're actually meditating on something, right? It's not just this blanket, empty meditation, but we're meditating on the word of God. We're, we're allowing it to, to fill our hearts. You think about the kind of classic model of um, Lectio Divina, Divina of head, hands, heart, right? So the meditation, um, allowing God's word to take plant in our heart and really uh, contemplating how it affects our thoughts, how it affects our lives. Um, so while one, you know, the, Eastern side is about emptiness, right? The other, this, uh, the, the biblical model is always one of fullness of being filled up by the word of God that really fills our, our lives and our minds and our thoughts at all times. I like that about the, the difference between emptying and filling. Um, you know, I've heard, I've heard before, like if you're going to, if you're going to quit a bad habit or an addiction, you got to replace it with something, mm -hmm. right? It's the, you know, like a, a mindfulness practice or like the Eastern meditation like that, you're not, you're not replacing um, any of your previous failures or sins or addictions or anything with something new, except for an empty self, which mm -hmm. what's going to happen. It's going to immediately mm -hmm. fill with the next terrible thing that comes along. Yeah. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, I would say, you know, along with that too, there is this sort of, you know, I think of, you know, and I've, I've had friends that are very helpful, helped by like the 12 step program and whatnot. But a lot of the, um, my lack of a better word, secular styles of, um, of self-help, um, is that 
you know, they're really just having habits for habit's sake. And there's not right. really any concern about the content. So, um, you know, just for example, sometimes it's, you know, I've heard people talk about just, just have, just read a book once a day. Right. And just focus on reading that book. And, you know, it, it, you almost get the sense that it wouldn't matter if that book is, you know, a Marcus Aurelius's meditations or Sun Tzu's art of war or, you know, 50 shades of gray, just like have this habit of reading something. Right. And, um, the, the practice is the, or the content is almost is is just as important so the things you're filling with actually determine what you're actually doing in those moments as well uh christian i i was recently at a uh an anglican wedding uh which was really beautiful i'd never been a part of something like that before but I, one of the things i was struck by was the liturgy that they had um and you know the anglican church put you know putting a high premium on on liturgy um, mm-hmm. I know that's not really something that the you know in Presbyterian circles we don't we don't tend towards those things, um, but are there any sorts of um, maybe you know semi liturgical practices that you've seen in the Presbyterian world that that are helpful or worthwhile maybe like a Valley of Vision type thing that you might like for daily Bible reading is that what you're asking Banjo? yeah for like a daily mm-hmm. like the daily kind of the like the one of the things I was struck by is the you know every for every time of year there's a there's a season of thinking there's a season of reflecting on the word um Mm -hmm. which you know you can you can debate the pros and cons of that but you know for those who might be interested do you know of any anything in that category yeah well and you know just right off the bat i mean i i've got a copy of the 1662 book of common prayer i think one that ivp put out and i i mean i think it's a tremendous resource in a lot of ways i mean it's um i wouldn't necessarily use it to guide my reading habits always because they're always focusing on a select group of texts but um you know having something like that is not wrong in and of itself i mean i think there's a lot of benefit to it you know i think um something like value vision is an incredible at least insofar as guiding our prayers which is really what i would say the book of common prayer is trying to do guiding our prayers along with regular reading and i know um uh joe thorne who's a reformed baptist pastor i think up in ohio can't really remember where but he's kind of put together a um valley of vision daily prayer schedule so you read one you pray one at 9 12 and 3 uh, and i think those things are tremendously helpful i mean you know just going back to our the a point earlier that anything you can do to build this habit right to kind of build that thing up is is worth doing um and, uh, you know, a great, a great guy who did a lot of the influence for me on that early on was a guy named James K. Smith, who I'm sure you guys probably have heard of before. And he's kind of gotten off the deep end the last few years. I really find most of the stuff he writes now pretty banal. But, you know, his, he, his book, uh, his first book, Desiring the Kingdom, really shaped my uh, thinking a lot in what it means to have things setting regular patterns for us. Um, setting regular regular habits, whether that be a value vision reading plan or a, kind of a, a structured book of common prayer type format. That's awesome. That's helpful. Um, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I do have. You're talking about um, uh, your time working with with youth ministry a little bit. 
Um, and, and it was a question I wanted to ask kind of in connection with that. Um, cause I'm, I'm teaching kids at, uh, in a high school level. And one of the things I've noticed is these, these kids are living in an age where their access to information is almost infinite. You know, they have this almost unlimited ability to, to access things on the internet. Um, and yet their, their ability to interpret, um, is, is almost next to nothing have no real method of interpretation. Um, and that really puts them in a, in a tough spot, especially because, you know, I think traditionally, you know, the people who are older, who people who are older, you know, kind of learn how to interpret information as they gain access to it. And we've really kind of inverted that methodology. Um, and so one of the things I'm trying to do in, in class and, and just in general with the kids is to, is to, help give them methods of interpreting the reality of interpreting the world around them. Um, and, you know, not really taking it at, at face value, so to speak. Um, in terms of our, our scripture reading, what are, what are ways you might recommend to, to helping kids or just ourselves you begin to not just kind of take things as, you know, blanket information, but how do we learn to interpret kind of what we're reading and what we're seeing as well? that's maybe yeah, a big I, question to, to bite off <laughs> no i mean interpretation is key right i mean it, how we interpret something is gonna in, is is um essential to approaching a text really any text but especially the bible um you know, i think first and foremost in a lot of in a lot of cases the bible kind of gives us its own cues for interpretation right so just thinking about Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, this is kind of commented on later things in heaven and things on earth being things visible and invisible, as Paul says in Colossians 1. But that opening statement of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth, is kind of setting some sort of an interpretive grid of whoever God is, he's totally different than any and all things around us, right? And so that that plays into how what how we interpret what God is doing, right? That his, as, as, um, I think it's Isaiah, it says his ways are not our ways, right? Um, and, and, and the list goes on too. I mean, even just thinking of all the ways that, um, Paul fits what Jesus has done into Old Testament categories, right? From him being our Passover lamb in First Corinthians 5 to, um, him being the rock that followed in First Corinthians 10, all these different things, or even, you know, something, as common as the son of David, right? And the those interpretive grids being supplied in other places. So when X is said here, we've actually got to go back and see how X has been formulated in other places. Um, you know, just like a great example, um, you know, kind of one of the common debates that always goes back is, um, you know, First Samuel uh eight or nine, I can't remember exactly where, where he taught, where the Lord talks about regretting that he had made Saul king. And, uh, or with Hezekiah, God repents, God changes his mind. And in one way we could read that and think, see, look, God is just like me. I, he, he regrets things, he changes his mind. But then there are passages like Malachi too, right? The I, the Lord, do not change. And so having to, um, whatever it means when God says he has regret, it doesn't mean the same thing as when we have regret and when we, when we change our mind. Um, but a, a, you know, a huge resource, a huge key, at least in the beginning stages of interpretation, uh, I would say are kind of the 
the the church creeds as you know as they've been given so i kind of like have a little stack of things of resources that i use and i just i just picked this up this is the westminster press's new reform standard of unity so i think it's got like the apostles creed nicene creed uh apostles nicene chalcedonian definition athanasian creed then it's got the westminster standards um all the Dutch are the the three forms of unity and the Second Helvetic Confession. Um, I'll just say, right, these things from the most basic in the Apostles' Creed to the most advanced in something like the Westminster Confession um, or the Belgic Confession um, are giving us a grid on how to read things, right? Or you can almost think like it's, it's most basic, the Apostles' Creed, something like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, are giving us almost gutter guards for our interpretation of, you know, here, when we, when we say certain things about the Bible, we have to stay within these lanes. There's a certain flexibility, but we've always got to stay within these things. And um, so I think, I mean, that, I think that's a, a key place to start because as we, you know, as, as our, because what we think about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the church are going to naturally influence how we read everything else in the Bible. Um, but then too, I think, you know, for example, just something like, um, you know, the as a mentor of mine used to say the most um the verse that is taken out of context most you know it might be philippians uh three i can do all things through christ who strengthens me but it may probably a, a close runner is jeremiah 29 11 right and of um i know the plans i have for you plans to prosper and not to uh, fail and um you know a lot of times our our individualistic interpretive grid makes us want to say ah see that's why i am going to have the life I want to have, right? And um, a big part of interpretation is teaching our people, teach God's people, young and old, to read it within context, right? So what is Jeremiah, you know, right before he says, I have plans to prosper and not to fail you, not to condemn you, he's talking about this invasion that's going to come in and kill everybody, right? So <laughs> whatever plan to prosper is it's not necessarily physical success right or in philippians 3 when paul talks about i can do all things through christ and strengthens me the immediate the immediate context is talking about the this walking through suffering right walking through suffering in humility um and so that's i mean that's a if we're thinking about you know big categories creeds how they shape our categories about god and jesus but then just you know good reading practice like you said i know you teach english um you know, we always read based on context, right? So what is he actually, what is this author actually saying to uh, to the people at this time? And not that he's saying something different to us, but it, it shapes how we then apply it to our own lives. Yeah, that's super helpful. And yeah, always, I, I love turning back to the, to the confessions and to the, to the catechisms and just love thinking about like, you know, giving those rich, uh, meaty, difficult theological constructs to, to kids is, you know, what those catechisms were designed for, but they, they offer mm -hmm. such a great, like you're saying, like a grid of interpretation that, that's so, yeah, so, so useful and uh, someone fallen by the wayside a little bit, regretfully. Yeah. And even with adults, right? I mean, I feel like part of my yeah. job just as a PCA pastor is just reminding adults that, the Westminster standards are actually really good to use, right? That they're, they're, they're a good thing to have alongside us. So we've covered a lot. Um, just a few final questions before we close out. Uh, and they can be pretty quick. 
Uh, one thing that I went into this conversation uh, kind of wondering, I think I, I know the answer, um, but we have started both years of Forging Honor now. This is our second year of the podcast with reading scripture on the assumption that it is the most foundational habit. One, would you agree with that? And are there any particular reasons why that is um, that you would highlight? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would I would probably say it is um, the reception. I, you know, I, I, in one way, you've got to kind of hold private reading of Scripture sort of loosely just because the last 250 years, 400 years are really the first time in church history that individual people have had access to regular but at least having regular, the regular indwelling of God's word is a foundational habit. And it's, um, it's easily done by personal private reading of scripture. Um, and for, you know, for all the reasons that we've said prior, but it's so foundational because it's where we come to know God, right? It's where we come to know, um, his story of redemption for his people. And, um, it actually, Again, not to put a pragmatic stance on it, but it, it's it's what will buoy us when life gets topsy turvy, right? I mean, it's just, one of my favorite hymns is from Depths of Woe, and one of the verses is, um, "What though I wait the live long night?" So you know, his entire life feels like darkness and night. What though I wait the live long night um, until the dawn appeareth? My heart still trusteth in His might; it doubteth not, nor faileth. Right, and we're always going to have those moments of man, this life is really hard, right? And um, God's word is, um, of course, it's a message of redemption. It's a revelation of who he is to his people, but it's also a buoy that he's given to his people to, to anchor themselves in those moments, right? So that when, when life gets hard, when life, um, when, when those, those live long nights, right, come upon us, that we have something anchoring our soul in, in who he is and who God is. Um, so yeah, I hope I answered your question there. Absolutely. I had not thought about that before. I like, it crossed my mind, I guess, about the, you know, in the last 250 years, really the first time we've had the ability to do personal reading. Um, but yeah, finding ways to instill a habit of at least exposure to God's word in some way. Every yeah. Day. Um, well, it gets, you know, it gets having you, others read. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you read like hypercritical, you know, really secular people they'll be like see that's yeah. why bible reading is not important but it's also like well early christians went to church like every day <laughs> and someone was reading the bible with them so they always had regular so i don't want to i'm not trying to negate regular bible reading which is right. what i'm trying to say so but the the real foundation in a sense is like these days it is that is the best way to get exposure to it but the real foundation is regularly being in god's word Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, memorization. I think that's a huge key as well of, you know, it's a habit that I've kind of flowed in and out of, but not just reading the words and passing over them, but, you know, part of meditation being allowing the words to really take root in your heart and really, really begin to, and part of that comes just from reading a lot. I mean, you know, I haven't actively memorized scripture until this year. It's kind of, I'm making it a New Year's resolution to memorize scripture, but just because That's I've awesome. been around it for so long, I've, I know I, I have chunks of it sort of memorized. Right. And so a lot of it comes from just regular repetition, but then also kind of that, that actual intentional sitting down and, you know, memorizing Psalm one, one through five or whatever it is. So. so on that note, are there other habits, whether memorization, prayer, or even just, uh, 
other habits that are, are may not be expected that you would surround scripture with in some way. Um, and as a, as a young man, you know, what else might you look at? Yeah. You know, I think, um, prayer is key, right? I mean, prayer is, um, it's the implicit and explicit acknowledgement that we can't do everything that we can't, that all this is not held together by our own mind. And that includes how we read the Bible, right? There's a sort of, um, if we're reading, if we're prayerlessly reading the Bible, we are automatically thinking, I can understand all this on my own. When in fact, it's the spirit of God that brings understanding each and every, even as we read. Um, so prayer being, I mean, prayer being almost as essential as, as by probably maybe more essential than Bible reading, right. Of our own person. I think it was, um, JC Ryle who said, if a man doesn't pray, I'm not going to say he's not a Christian, but I'll come about as close as I can to Right? It's really gonna make me doubt if he's a Christian or not. And, um, so prayer is huge. Memorization is huge. I would say, especially for young men, thinking about young men with families, and this is something that I've failed at greatly in just in the last few months, I've tried to really put a concerted effort into, but, um, Prayer and Bible reading, or another way of saying it, family worship with your wife and kids, right? Regularly spending time with with them as a gathered unit to do these things. Um, I think some stuff like um, you can think about developing habits that allow you to actually practice the things that you're reading. So whether it be hospitality, whether it be, um, so, you know, having a habit of having one family over a week for dinner or um, developing a habit of evangelism, whatever it may be. And I think, cause that goes hand in hand with, um, you know, the best readers of scripture are those who actually do what it says. So if you're, if you're just reading the Bible and never putting into practice what it says, you're never actually going to grow as a reader and hearer of God's word. But it's actually putting those things into practice that allows you to really get the fullness of it. So, um, yeah, creating habits of service that you are, of whether, you know, to not, I wouldn't say the community at large. I mean, in one way, I'm not trying to discount like going to the homeless shelter and, you know, passing out food, but um, explicit acts of, engage, of of Christian engagement, whether that's hospitality with friends and outsiders or evangelism or, um, you know, putting yourself, being, making a habit of, this is kind of a weird habit, but being, having a habit of, of discipline of, of actually discipling somebody, right. Is it would be a, something else. Just, again, those are sort of ancillary, but they're putting into practice what we're reading and actually allows us and shapes us to be better readers of scripture at, at the same time. That's really good. Final question for me. Um, thinking about young men, you know, early twenties to, you know, about your, your, you said you're in your early thirties at this point, mm-hmm. um, that age range, if kind of two categories, if you are someone who's always struggled with Bible reading and doesn't really know, is not excited about facing a new year of saying, I'm going to do it this year and then failing all the way up to the person that has had it down and kind of just, they're doing it every day. Um, what is one thing that you would say, uh, to both those categories, uh, you would add or encourage them to delve into in scripture? Yeah. You know, I think for the person, for the that first category, the former category, the person who's failed and knows they should, but just has struggled, um, you know, I would, I would want to ask, you know, what, what have you tried to read? You know, like I get, um, you know, trying to get through numbers and just collapsing on your face. So, you know, I would encourage them, uh, man, start with John, start with the epistles of John. Um, I think 
can't remember who first said it. I heard Sinclair Ferguson Ferguson say it. Um, but you know, the Gospel of John being um, shallow enough that a lamb can play in it, but deep enough that an elephant can swim in it. So, um, you know, start with the Gospel of John and just dive in. Read it three times if you have to, just to kind of get it um, into your bones, and then move on. You know, move on to um, think of something like Ephesians. Um, I mean, even Romans, but Ephesians is sort of Paul's um, entire gospel tract in a very concise form, and and then move on to you know, don't don't try and don't feel like you have to tackle the whole hog um, right at the get go. Um, for those who have um, you know have rocked it out of the park every single year, I mean, first just kudos. I think you know, and I think that's an incredible habit to have built, but. Um, I would say now start fi- finding ways of how to put those things into practice. So you've got the habit of Bible reading in play, uh, but are you now take an audit of how you're walking in those things, how you're actually living out what those things say. And, you know, if someone's looking for a deeper way to study the Bible, one thing I do, um, you know, I've got, I read, I read my Bible, I read my Bible. I, um, work on memorization and I read a little bit, some sort of creed or confession. And then I've always got um, some sort of book of theology or um, a commentary that I'm reading along whatever book I'm reading. And, and that, I mean, I think that just um, for me and I know for others uh, just engages you in the text in a, in a deeper and fuller way. Not that what, you know, just reading your Bible is great. And if that's all you have time for, that's, that's amazing. Um, but reading alongside, you know, like Calvin, reading the Institutes alongside your Bible reading and seeing how he read texts and all these things is just such a, a, an incredible way to not only expand your knowledge of theology, but just to see how saints long old have, uh, have read the Bible in the past as well. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of the, that hopefully answers your question. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Banjo, you got anything? No, I just this has been a super helpful conversation, Christian. Thanks so much for for coming on and uh, yeah, and talking with us. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys. And if I can, I'm going to give a. This no one paid me to do this. I was just kind of looking at my bookshelf and things that have really impacted me as a not only as a pastor but just as a guy who <laughs> loves the Bible. There's a book be backwards for y'all, but it's called Trinity Revelation and Reading by a guy named Scott Swain. <laughs> He's a professor at RTS Orlando. Um, but it's a little expensive, unfortunately, because of the publisher. They just like to charge a lot for a little. Um, but it's a really, really, really great book that um, kind of expands on anything that I said that was worth anything probably comes from this book. And he's putting the the Bible in relation not only to um, Christians, but the Bible in its covenantal context, meaning the Bible is a covenantal document that God gives his people and just connecting the Bible to God as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what that means. So this book is just, I mean, it's worth its weight in gold. It's a thin book. It's 100 and, gosh, 153 with the indices, but um, just a great, great, great book that I can't recommend enough. So Sweet. Yeah, well, we can uh, take that and link to it. We'd also love uh, some of the other stuff you mentioned, um, that collection of creeds. Uh, if you if you see yeah. our way, and then uh, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the Bible reading plan that you yourself have had come up with for your church. Um, if you have that published, I would love to link that. Um, yeah, for sure. I'll shoot you that, that the PDF. 
Yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, well, thank, thank you, you guys. So yeah, it was a joy to, to be with y'all. This has been the Forging Honor Podcast. Music and production is by Elliot George. For more information about what we do or to learn how to get involved, visit our website at forginghonor.com. If you enjoy the show, make sure to like, subscribe, and give us a rating to bring others into the Forging Honor journey. On our website, you'll find information on how to do the challenges alongside us, as well as links to the many resources we mention in the show. And we do make a small amount for many purchases you make through our website link, so thank you in advance. Thanks for taking the time with us today. We hope you'll take up the work alongside us and join us in the task of forging honor. We'll see you next time.